0: Oompa, Loompa, Doompa Dee Doo. We got a brand new podcast for you. Oompa, Loompa, Doompa Dee Dee. Go Owen oh, like Trash Can TV. What do you get with Micah and
1: Chris? They are so funny you'll want to piss. They have made you laugh now for eight times. So be ready for nine. Dun, dun, dun. Have a change of pants. Dun, 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 dun. Hi, I'm Chris. And I'm Micah.
0: This is not Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. This is the Donut Box Podcast.
1: So, Chris, episode niner. We're almost to ten.
0: Yeah, we're almost ten episodes in. We will be having a great celebration for our tenth episode. That is a feat it is it is more work than you guys actually think this is our art this is our craft so we appreciate you guys listening to us there's so much work that goes on behind the scenes and i'll shout out to micah uh he doesn't know that i'm about to put the spotlight on him but a lot of the graphics you see in the website and stuff that was all him so shout out to him this is a lot of uh work but it is also fun it's fun to get to do our craft and have fun and be goofy like we did with the intro and so we thank you guys for putting up with us and listening and joining us once again on this
1: wonderful monday listen you put me on the spotlight i'm about to put you on the spotlight my man chris over here he does all the editing all the music all the good sounding items there he, he's the one that makes it sound professional is all get out so really appreciative to him as well we we split our roles up really well and we have a good time with this but thank you for listening and uh, we really appreciate it
0: yeah, shout out to all our trash can OGs. And the good news is, since it's before the 10th episode, you are still considered a trash can OG. You probably will still be considered a trash can OG until we get to like over a hundred followers. So consider yourself a trash can OG. And we have great content for you. We have a great show for you. And the first donut on this donut box wonderful podcast is the old-fashioned donut, which is a story from Micah and I's past and today our story is called Graniteville. Now I will set the scene for you. This was probably 2011, 2012 and around that time the show American Pickers was a big deal and Micah's dad And mom were heavily into bargaining, going to auctions, finding what they could for a deal. So Micah, tell them a little bit about that.
1: And for those of you who don't know, American Pickers, it was a show, or I guess it still is a show, about two guys who would go across the country, would just pull up to people's houses, and that looked like they had interesting things. And they would ask to go through them, and they would buy things to sell in their shop. Essentially, this was the same thing. My parents owned a... uh, a semi shop would you say it was at the flea market but it was in the indoor portion so they had their own storefront and everything so it was it was pretty legit there but in order to get product we had to go and we would go to auctions and things this one in particular we had a little tip from another guy down the down the line there and we're gonna call him ricky bobby because that's for whatever reason some people refer to him as that
0: Yes, and Ricky Bobby was their neighbor that was right across the other side of the flea market, and he would come and and talk to them. And he told Micah's dad, hey, I'm about to go on this pick. It's going to be at this person's house, and we would love for you to come along and uh, Micah and I were interested at, for some reason, uh, cause we liked finding cool stuff. So we were going to go to this person's house and it was in Graniteville, South Carolina, which was probably like 30 minutes away. Um, Augusta and Graniteville, South Carolina are not that far from each other. So uh, tell them about what happened on this pick. So
1: I'm going to set another scene for you as well. Graniteville was actually the site of a major train accident that happened in the early to mid-2000s. And it was a big derailment. You can look that up on the side, but that's what this town was primarily known for. Uh, So we go out to this town and we drive out there and we meet Ricky Bobby. At, at this house and we, we get a little bit of a backstory and there's there's this young guy there and I say young, he's probably mid twenties, and it was his grandmother's house is what he said, and there was a house and a trailer. He told us very strictly from the beginning, you can look and you can see what you want to buy from the trailer in the house, but do not go near the shed. And he made it a very staunch point not to go anywhere near the back
0: shed. We didn't really think too much of it. So we're going through the house and I distinctly remember there was this uh, singing toilet that Micah saw and he was like oh man that's so cool you know I want to I want to buy that and he said hey dad you know talk to his dad hey dad come look at this singing toilet and Ricky Bobby comes over there and he grabs the toilet he's like oh cool mine I found it uh how much do you want for this toilet singing toilet it was one of those little toys and basically swiped it underneath uh, Micah's nose and then two I don't know why this is like a little bonus story but he, he he found like this DVD of adult entertainment and for some reason he was like you boys want this and I was like nah man like I was trying to live the good Christian life I was like nah bro I don't want this and he just like he was like oh I know it's because your dad's around and I was like well he's not my dad he's basically like my dad at the time but and so he just like slipped it in my back pocket and I was like what the heck like I don't want this so later after we left I just took the DVD and I threw it in the trash can I was like this weird old man he let mm -mm me have that weird old dull entertainment DVD but wouldn't let Micah have the single toilet.
1: Oh and he also gave me a coin and the coin it had, it had a naked lady a front side of a naked lady and it says heads I win and then the back side of it was a naked lady and it said tails you lose and it was kind of a weird thing and he gave that to me for some reason too. Uh, anyways so we're in this house and primarily we were in the trailer portion of the house or of the property there and when i say that this was a hoarder's house this was a hoarder's house to the max we literally we we soon realized when we got there that it wasn't necessarily we were picking through stuff it was a combination of we were hauling the junk out of there so i remember we had to clean out this entire area and basically what we found in there we would ask and we would get a price which really smart on the guy if you think about it. if you want a bunch of stuff hauled away just say hey come pick my house and you know do that i digress so we start going through this house we start finding these items as if these people it wasn't just the grandmother that was living in this trailer there was a a presumably teenage girl she was high school age and we know this because we found a lot of love letters we found a lot of things we pieced together a story of what was going on in in this person's house uh so it's the typical old southern story of this girl gets pregnant and she was living in virginia and so they shipped her down to grandma's in South Carolina.
0: Yeah, and we found this out, like he said, we found um, letters and her high school yearbook. And just, it was really weird because it seemed like, you know, this girl was supposed to like come home and the grandma was supposed to come home. And it was like, they just like, didn't come home or they just disappeared or whatnot. Cause they, everything was like in an exact place. It was, it was really weird and like jewelry like IDs, pill bottles, it it looked, you know, normally when you have a loved one pass away, family members go through the house and they take what they want, take uh, memories, take valuables and stuff. None of that had been taken and we were reading this letter and these letters were from her, her baby daddy or her boyfriend or whatever. And Micah and I, like, we swiped, you know, I think her diary and some of the letters, and we swiped those because we were like very interested about this story. But it was very weird, and I kind of got like weird feeling when we were in there, and it was like, man, something is not right here.
1: It, it started off. We we started off in in the grandmother's bedroom, and we found, like you said, we found jewelry. We found her. We found her ring. We found a, a diamond ring in there, and we found her wallet full of. You know, credit cards, everything like that. And so we thought it was the right thing to do to go to the grandson and say, hey, you know, maybe you want these items. I don't know if the ring is an heirloom or if any of these items you want to keep. And he said, nope, nope, everything has a price on it. And he made it seem like, and as far as her wallet and things, he was like, no, you can have that. We're like, but it's full of credit cards. He's like, yeah, you can have it.
0: Yeah, it was super shady. So we go through all this stuff and um, we're trying to leave and when we got in the car because all four of us ricky bobby his dad uh, me and michael we all rode together and we like we kept circling back to the house like unintentionally like we would take a turn and they were like i know that we turned left here and we kept going in circles and every time we would we would circle back to that house and it was like man like something is keeping us here like we can't like leave for for some odd reason and honestly i got like a weird feeling i think that something happened to grandma and the guy was very adamant about hey do not go in the shed
1: i think something happened to grandma and the granddaughter as well because literally all of their stuff it looked like they dropped out the face of the earth like it looked like they were there and then they just dropped off. There was no no movement or anything like that of any of the stuff. But uh, to his point, we were driving around. And we kept making this ginormous circle, and uh, a part of and of course it's at night. This is at night. It's dark. I remember it was behind the post office area, and it was it was around that area, and so that's that's how we knew it was the house is because we kept coming back and we're like wow there's the postal okay there's the house too and i remember the other eerie part was the circle we kept making we kept going by the house and then there was a placard where that train accident had happened and i remember we kept passing by where the train accident happened like over and over and over again and i mean it correct me if i'm wrong Memory might have served me, you know, Uncle John's fish gets this much bigger each time. But I remember it was like four or five times. It wasn't like once or twice. Yeah,
0: it was several times. And we even made the joke of, man, I guess we just can't leave here because... you know even his dad said something he was like I I know I've been here before but we you know we took some of her diary and letters because it was like an interesting story like some of the letters were like it wasn't just the gushy teenage stuff it was like some deep stuff in there and so we were like reading them at the Mexican restaurant that night and like piecing together like you could get pieces of this girl's life from her her letters and it was very interesting and it was very it was very weird just a weird time so that that's the time about
1: Graniteville. Do you have anything else to add on that? The last thing I'll put is Chris and I have talked about this years later. We really, really think that either that wasn't her grandson or it was, and there was something, there was something way more going on there. We, we might've stumbled on, you know, some murder scene that we really weren't aware of. And so that was, that was really interesting. But we think back in, uh, very very interesting time but that that is the graniteville story
0: it was very eerie for sure so this next segment is our brand new segment and it is called the bear claw and we have this segment it is going to be about conspiracy theories now i know what you're thinking are they going to talk about the moon landing are they going to talk about jfk assa- being assassinated are they going to talk about is the earth flat No, we are not. We are going to talk about some weird, obscure conspiracy theories. I know that a lot of you are into conspiracy theories. So, Micah, I have a couple. I have actually three that we're going to talk about today, and we're going to just give our thoughts. So, the first one is basically they say that the movie Frozen, the Disney movie Frozen, is a distraction um, that they made this movie and they titled it Frozen because... Many people believe that Walt Disney's remains have been frozen and a lot of people have searched it. And of course the Disney family came out and said, no, absolutely not. He's not frozen, but he, they said that like he wanted to be frozen in time so he could come back to life, kind of like Austin Powers. Um, But they made this movie frozen so people could, when they search in Google Disney Frozen, that it'll pull up the movie and it'll kind of divert people away from seeing if Walt Disney's remains or they wanted
1: to see if it would mess with the algorithm. I mean, if that, if that is what it is and listen, I don't put it past Disney, be honest with you. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about Disney on the off chance that, uh, they, they listen to our podcast and want to be crazy. But the thing about it is it doesn't put it past me. I've heard the conspiracy theory. I even think family guy made a joke at one point about Disney coming back being fro from being frozen and everything um i didn't know that was a a widely known one but um if if that's what it is then i would that would be a pretty elaborate plan to throw people off the trail
0: it's not that it's a widely known one it was just like one of the more obscure ones but it was on like the top 30 conspiracy theories Uh, i believe that disney would do something like that because that little mouse is evil Uh, sorry, Disney, if you come for me, I don't think y'all will, cause we're not that big yet, but if y'all come for me, that's okay. Uh, but I do think something like that, it kind of sounds like something that Disney would do to cover it up because they wanted to mess with the algorithm. So, uh, do you have anything else to say on that?
1: Yeah, personally, if here's what my gut tells me, my gut tells me that Walt Disney might have done that in the past. But I think that it, it failed, you know. Probably scientific technology. Maybe somebody can be frozen now and and be brought back reanimated, if you will, or whatever you want to say. But I think he was frozen and the freeze killed him, if if any if that actually happened.
0: I think well never mind. Captain America was frozen and he came back, but that's a whole nother thing. All right, our second one is people say that Paul McCartney died in the sixties. And that the Paul McCartney that is now that you see on tours, it was just a lookalike that the Beatles hired and they made like references to it in their songs. Now, I've heard a couple people have are I've heard conspiracy theories about a couple artists, one of them being like Avril Lavigne, that she died and like they just got a look-alike and stuff like that. I don't know how true this is, but they said that the Beatles make references to it in their
1: songs, that he died in like a car accident or got hit by a car. What do you think about that? I I don't think so. I've actually, I, I didn't quite meet him per se, but I was working at an airport in a town and he came for a concert and I, you know, you look at the same picture of him from the 60s when he was young versus... 2000s when he's elderly you can tell it's the same person he looks exactly the same the only way that it would be different is if this person if he actually did die somebody would have had to spend a lot of money on facial reconstruction in order to have that but at the same time he's still talented so or it could be just like lip syncing and he could just have
0: someone playing i'm not saying that that's the truth but in the 60s it wasn't as prevalent Maybe it was, but like the Elvis lookalikes and Michael, there's a lot of good Michael Jackson lookalikes. Um, but I don't think I'm kind of on the same boat as you. Uh, I don't think that because he does look a lot and he sounds the same when he talks in his interviews. You can kind of tell, but people think that people think that, you know, Paul McCartney passed away in the 60s. And, but why would they if I guess Paul McCartney was the more, um, famous one out of all of them when he did his solo career, but why wouldn't they recreate John Lennon? But John Lennon was kind of a, John Lennon was kind of a controversial guy with his beliefs,
1: which I get that, but he was still such a popular image that you would think that if they would do that for Paul McCartney, you know, (laughs) delving deeper into it, maybe they just didn't find somebody that looked like John Lennon enough or, you know, something like that. But at the same time, I, I think the same thing. If he really did, die as john lennon would why would they have redone paul mccartney or have a look-alike or something along those lines if they wouldn't do it for john
0: lennon all right and so our last and final conspiracy theory now a youtuber named shane dawson if y'all have watched him he did a conspiracy theory on this and he did a whole documentary series about it about whether chucky e. cheese reuses their pizza because he was saying that like when you look at the pizza some of the pictures that the slices don't add up I used to work at Chuck E. Cheese I'm not gonna weigh in I'm gonna let you think I'm gonna let you say your thoughts and then I'm gonna weigh
1: in I personally don't think so reason being I mean I I know Chuck E. Cheese is not the most glamorous place to go eat and it's not exactly my favorite pizza but they still have standards right I mean for the most part I mean, if a health inspector walked in and they're reusing pizza slices, you're getting your kitchen shut down. So I don't think that that would be, I don't think that would be true.
0: Well, what do you say to the debate about the uneven pizza slices? Because they did like use pictures and all that kind of stuff to try to prove their theory that Chuck E. Cheese reuses the pizza. So what would you say about how the pizza slices don't add up or that they're mismatched?
1: The hard part is nowadays when you have things like Photoshop and things along those lines or you know, people who are wanting to prove a point, it could have been that they ordered two pizzas and then they took multiple slices and put them together to make it to where it looks different. There's also the possibility, who works at Chuck E. Cheese? And especially in the kitchen, you're talking about twenty some odd year old, you know. Sometimes even high school kids. Maybe they didn't cut the pizza right. I mean, there is a way. I I've also worked at Papa John's before. There is a way with certain pizza cutters if you do it at a weird angle or something like that, to where it's sliced weird and uneven. It's gonna look really wonky as far as how you cut it.
0: In the actual docu series that Shane Dawson did, I think he ordered a pizza, and I think some of them. Were a mismatch, but it was editing. I'm gonna go out and say it. I used to work for Charles Entertainment Cheese, aka Chuck E. Cheese. That man has fallen, or that rat has fallen on some hard times. The man lost his hat and he's skinny. Poor Chuck E. Cheese. Anyways, <laughs> um, when I worked back there, I actually watched the chefs make the pizza from start to end. Uh, I was a busboy and so I cleaned off the pizzas and I would dump the pizza slices in the trash. And some of you may be like, well, what if they just got the pizza slices out of the trash? I watched them make pizzas from beginning to end and delivered out the pizzas myself. They do not reuse pizza slices. They make it fresh. Um, I don't know why that was a big debate. It was a couple years ago when that was a big debate and a big conspiracy theory. But as someone who was formerly employed by Chuck E. Cheese, I'm going to absolutely say that that is false. Uh, The pizza is not great. They do serve beer there, so I'm sure the pizza would start getting pretty good after you had a couple. But the the thing is, they only limit you to have two beers there. But if you're a parent and you've been to Chuck E. Cheese, you're going to need more than two beers to get through
1: that day. You got that right, but... Yeah, that's, that's crazy that people think that Chuck E. Cheese would reuse pizza slices, but... Maybe... Now they do
0: because, like I said, the rat's falling on hard times. So maybe they have to resort to that. Maybe that has popped into a CEO's head. And they're like, hmm, maybe we should reuse these pizza slices. But that was our bear claw segment, Conspiracy Theories. Let us know what you think about this segment. We will, If you guys like this segment, we will definitely do some more Conspiracy Theories because I know people are all about them. Maybe we'll do some of the big ones. I mean, those have been done. Everybody has an opinion on them. We kind of want to do the, the ones that are... Uh, Back and forth. So our next segment
1: is, what is our next segment, Micah? Our next segment is the Donut Hole, which today, we did this a few weeks back. I'm going to do it again. We're going to talk about an air crash investigation. Yay. I've been really studying on this pretty heavily. I find it very interesting. Uh, This one in particular has some political items within there, a.k.a. the Cold War. Um, it has some implications there. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. So the the main portion here, there was a Korean Airlines flight. And they were flying from New York to Seoul, Korea. And abruptly, they, they went down midair. Nobody really knew what, what happened. Uh, and this was back in the 80s. So there was not a radar system especially over the ocean areas to where they can tell exactly where it went down or anything first of all i want to say ntsb is incredible ntsb air crash investigators are incredible they can really piece things together from minuscule items that they find on a crash site it's incredible anyways so for this one this plane goes down they end up finding out ...that Russia launched a missile... ...same time... ...USSR when it was the USSR... ...around the same time as the plane crash... ...so the US and the USSR... ...start doing their own investigation... ...and the funny thing is... It's a, ...it's a race for it, right? So the USSR sends out... ...their boats... ...to try to find the wreckage... ...the US tries to send out their boats... ...to find the wreckage... ...the initial story was... ...Russia said, yeah, we shot it down... ...it was a US spy plane... Really, it was a seven forty seven full of passengers. And so what ended up happening was there was this whole entire I mean, this brought us almost to the brink of war. And I mean nuclear war. So they start investigating what's going on, and NTSB is a US organization and they're the people who they're the it's the national transportation and safety board and what they are is whenever a plane crash happens they go in and investigate since it was a u.s entity they said listen we need an unbiased approach so they used another group an international group to come investigate this so what ended up happening they take off from new york they go a lot of trans or not transatlantic transpacific flights They go in an arcing pattern because of the shape of the earth. So they don't go in a direct line from New York to Seoul. They have to go this big swooping way, which would take them by Alaska. So they they come by Alaska here, and they turn like they're supposed to. And it's after that, whenever they get shot down, towards when they get to the border of Russia. Now, because of the political tensions, they weren't supposed to go over the border of Russia. Come to find out, they accidentally did. There was some grain of truth to the matter about a U.S. spy plane. There was a U.S. spy plane in the air at the same time. And because radar was so finite at that time, the two planes crossed at a certain point. So, once the two dots left each other, they couldn't tell and discern which one was the actual spy plane and which one was the actual passenger plane. So, Russia sends a fighter up there to see what's going on and they they really weren't trying anything they really weren't trying anything they sent them up there they see that it's a four-engine plane they think it's you know it, they say it looks like a passenger plane but you can disguise a spy plane as a passenger plane so they end up Try to do all these maneuvers, right? They try to fire warning shots, they try to get in front of them, they try to, you know, they try to make them see, hey, there's a fighter jet right next to you. They, Meanwhile, the Korean airline flight crew get a report from a pilot saying... Hey, at 35,000 feet, we have a tailwind. And the the best part about pilots, if you have a tailwind, that means you go quicker. That means the flight is a lot quicker and you go a lot faster. So they said, you know what? Um, So they asked the controller, they said, can we go to 35,000 feet? Unfortunately, this was a very, very bad time for that. Because this fighter was right behind them. And so they start ascending and going up. The fighter took that as an evasive maneuver. And so in their mind and in Russia's mind, they said, yes, that is a, the spy plane. It has to be. They're doing an evasive maneuver. They're trying to get away from me. So they shot the plane down. And so it went into the ocean. And they didn't find this out for another 10 years because Russia found the black box and found the wreckage. The U.S. never did. So when the USSR fell, they ended up giving all this information over. Come to find out the reason it happened... So like I said, that spy plane was there, but the Korean airline flight was so far off course, they were going into Russia. They were almost to Russia. They were really, really close. And so, and it was a pilot error on their, on their part. They did not set their heading right. And so they literally went almost to Russia and there was all these warning signs, but they, they literally just missed them all, um, including the whole, tailwind at 35,000 feet because where they were at they were experiencing a headwind and normally whenever you're experiencing wind one way like staunch one way a couple th- or a few thousand feet is not going to make a difference so it's a very interesting story because it really brought us on the brink of war because you know from the U.S.'s standpoint it's kind of like everybody's right right everybody feels like they're right The U.S. is like, how dare you shoot down a civilian plane? And they're like, how dare you send a spy plane? And so and there was this whole debate going on with that. Come to find out it was just a pilot error. Nobody was really right in the end. Unfortunately, there was mass loss of life. But it was just a very, very interesting story about how that all all took place.
0: Man, talk about wrong place at the wrong time. Like you said, it was... uh... You know, everybody felt justified in what they did. uh, Bad loss of life. And that was a pretty interesting story. I never knew that before. So that's a little piece of history that brought us almost to the point of throwing hands with Russia.
1: And there's, it's weird because there are so many times in the Cold War era to where we, we really got on the brink of pressing the red button, if you will, of just going all at war with them. But luckily that didn't happen.
0: That's good. That is very good. That is a... Sad story, Um, but like you said, you can be in the logic of everybody on board and understand where they were coming from. Uh, So that was our donut hole. Good job with that. That was an interesting story. I hope you guys enjoyed that little piece of history. And it's next. What fries my (laughs) donuts? And this fries both of our donuts this week. So Micah, tell them what fries both of our donuts.
1: Get your children in control. That's all I got to say. Every time I'm out in public... It seems like there are these children and these parents that could care less about what's going on with their child. And, you know, it, it really, really fries my donuts. We both used to work in the retail environment. And, I mean, I remember having to fix so many items because parents are not on top of their kids. Not disciplining not telling them no one of the biggest problems that I think that we have is kids throw a temper tantrum instead of, and maybe I'm of the old school thought process here, instead of taking the belt off, or even if you're not into physical punishment, even taking things away, you're grounded. You're not, you know, whatever. We're going to McDonald's. You're not getting your apple pie, whatever, right? There's no consequences. A lot of the times, I mean, I was in a store the other day. This kid was going nuts, throwing a temper tantrum on the floor. And what did the parents say? Please stop. Oh, please stop. Yeah,
0: he's not going to stop. We were just both raised differently because if I would have acted that way in public and embarrassed my parents, they would have took me to the bathroom and gave me a spanking. And I don't have kids. Micah doesn't have kids. But I was a children's pastor. I still serve uh, with kids elementary age. And he's right, man. Like, parents just let their kids get all everywhere and just in everybody's business. I mean, I was bowling, you know, a couple of weeks ago and these kids were like in our lane, like just didn't care. like, And I was like, man, and the parents didn't care either. And then when you say something about like, hey, can you please, like we're trying to bowl here, then the parents get mad at you and they act like their kids are little angels. And I know everybody has a different parenting style. I'm not here to judge you as a parent or say that you're a bad parent, but when you're letting your kid just act all crazy and acting like they're the center of attention, yeah, you should do anything for your kid, but when they're over there disrespecting people and being ugly to people and just all in the way, and then when I say something to you and you're like, oh, well, he's just a little explorer. He's just a little adventurer. It's like, man, like, and I'll tell you who's the worst. It's, it's, I'm of the millennial generation, but it's millennials. I promise you, millennials are, are the worst because they just let their kids do whatever they want.
1: And I've noticed this thought process of, well, my parents were too far overboard, so we're not going to have the discipline. Listen, I, I, there's a balance, right? You don't want to scold and do things to your kids to where they're just under a thumb the whole time. But at the same time, you want to have them to the point. I mean, I'll put it this way. My parents—if they told me to stop—I knew what the consequences were, and I knew that if I did not stop, what was coming. And the thing about it, it doesn't seem as if nowadays kids have that consequential back backing of, "Oh man, if I if I do this, you know, I'm going to get in trouble."
0: Yeah. Tell them about the the time that you and your girl were out and that kid.
1: Oh yeah. So, I mean, we were me and me and my lady were out we were having a date just the two of us and we were at red robin and you know we were sitting in one of these like half booth things and they these kids were just running around and it was the table next to us and all of a sudden this kid walks up and starts taking fries off my girl's plate and so i you know i tell the kid to stop doing that like those aren't your fries don't do that he doesn't stop so what do i do i turn to the parents and i say listen your kid is taking food off of my girl's plate. Now, if you're going to pay for my meal, that's fine. But if you're not, you need to tell them to stop. They got upset at me for that. And that's ridiculous. Listen, I'm paying for the meal. Not just not just your kid's taking fries from my plate. Not just the sanitary portion of that. But just the principle of the matter of you're sitting there. And it's not like they didn't see. It's not like they're not over there actively looking and seeing what's going on uh other thing that gets me too it's on planes too i've noticed that on planes they'll let their kids scream and scream and scream and they'll be sitting there reading sky mall or something and it's like dude your kid is screaming right here you need to tell them to stop i understand we're on a plane right and there's you know pressure changes and your ears are popping and all this stuff but you can't scream you're in a public place with people you have to learn there's a time and a place for things like that. And even if you feel this way, you need to bottle it up because guess what? There's You got to share the space with other people. Kids are, are raised
0: nowadays that the world's my playground. I can do whatever I want. There's no consequences. Kids, there's a point where, yes, let your kids be kids, wander, play, whatever. But in the grocery store, I've seen kids play hide-and-seek in the paper towel aisle. And they've just moved all the paper towels and thrown it on the floor. And these are like... 10, 11, 12, 13 year old kids. And I'm sitting here like, man, like, where's your parents? And, and parents, you can't just give your kid uh, a screen and then expect it to be a babysitter. And two, stop dropping your kids off at school and expecting the teacher to be the babysitter because teachers do not get paid enough to deal with the bullcrap of 30 kids and they got 30 kids and all of your, all the kids, quote unquote, are perfect
1: little angels. No, they're not. Absolutely not. And you're like you said, they treat them like babysitters Ed, to your something else too. Sunday school teachers, don't drop them off. If, if, if you go to church, don't drop them off at Sunday school and be like, oh, yeah, here you go, Pastor Chris, have a good one. And the thing about it, and, you know, not have any sort of consequence, if Pastor Chris comes and tells you, hey, you know, he was a problem today or she was a problem today. Don't just brush that off. We're trying to make, and like he said, we're not parents, but however, we're trying to make these kids, the kids are our future. If we're raising them this way to be so loose and easygoing and whatever you want to do, we're going to have major problems.
0: Yeah, exactly. I will end the segment with saying I love kids. Uh, I wouldn't be uh, serving and helping out with kids. I love kids and I want to help them, but it's just the little things that I I notice. And it's, it's, it's the parenting where they just don't care. So Mike,
1: like Micah said, get control of your kids, man. Like for real, get control of your kids. It's real easy. Just have that consequential background. Let them know that if there is something that's going on and that you don't like as a parent that, Hey, we're going to stop it right now.
0: Exactly, and I know that we'll catch a lot of flack with this. Well, you don't have kids. You don't have kids, so you don't know. No, but I see how it goes, and trust me. Trust me. There there are things that could be done better. So that's what really fries our donuts this week. Uh, next week, tune in to see what fries our donuts. Uh, this next segment is our mystery donut, and we are going to play a game. So this game is an improv game. The mystery donut is the improv segment. This game is called ABC Game. So how it works is one of us will start off and we'll have to start our sentence with the letter A. And then the next one will have to start with the letter B. The next one will have to go C and then D and back and forth. If one of us stops or hesitates or can't think for more than three seconds or four seconds, then they will lose a point and then we'll pick back up with the letter so, if we
1: stop at H, then we'll pick back up at H. Does that make sense? So, I'm just going to ask this. We're doing the whole... So, we're having to pick a whole sentence with the the first part, or are we just saying one word, and then the next word will be picked up by the next person with another letter?
0: No, you have to say a whole sentence with starting with that letter. Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: And then, are filler words allowed like, and, or... You can say, and,
0: or, but you can't start a sentence with, and, or, but, or... Or, or. That sounds really weird. Or, or. Anyways, do you want me to start or do you want to start? On your mark, get set, go. All the children on what fries my donuts really fry my donuts.
1: Baklava is not my favorite dessert. Can you send me some of that baklava? Don't ask me for no baklava now. Excuse me about the baklava. I don't want to say what I was at for F. (laughs) (laughs)
0: All right, we'll pick back up at F. All right, your turn. We can keep it going. Okay. All right, so we're starting back at F. Fool, what makes you think I got baklava? All right, we'll start back at G. Get the heck out of my
1: face with your stupid baklava. How many times are you gonna say the word baklava in this segment? I told you to go out to the car And get my keys just tell me how many times you're gonna say baklava
0: keep asking me about how many times i'm gonna say baklava and you'll find out
1: listen baklava freaking sucks
0: may i help you out to the door no you may not (laughs) please get out of my face if you're going to insult my baklava
1: question me about this baklava one more time really You're going to keep
0: going on with the questioning about the baklava? Still, are we on this baklava? Tomorrow is a whole new day, and I better not hear about no baklava. Unfortunately,
1: baklava is still on the menu.
0: Victory is mine because it is still on the menu.
1: What's your deal with baklava? Why do you like baklava?
0: X-rays come out tomorrow in class, and I hope you bring some baklava.
1: You and you talking about your baklava. Zip it about my baklava and that was the abc game i don't know how it became baklava the whole time but you know it sometimes happens in improv also something we learned about improv today apparently i don't know my abcs besides in the song full on so i gotta gotta practice that apparently wow
0: well It is almost time to take this donut box out to the trash can, and we are going to help make the rest of your week with our special eclair donut, and I went first last week, so it is your turn for this week. What did you got this week?
1: Today, I want to talk about the difference between value and success. Now, we all strive to be successful, and each person has their own definition of success, but... You don't want to be a person of just success. You want to be a person of value. You want to be a person that is remembered as a person of character and have, and having strong morals and values. I've been thinking a lot lately, and this is a little deep. I've been thinking a lot about um, life, when it's over. How are people going to perceive me after it's over? Reality, it doesn't matter because you won't be there. However, me personally, I want to leave a legacy. I want to leave a legacy and I wanna have people remember me well. And so the thing that I've been thinking about, I've been striving so long, and this is, this is a very personal one, but I don't know if there's somebody out here that's going through the same thing. I've fought a lot for my success and my definition of success has changed. The reason you wanna go for value instead of success is because your definitions of success can change, but values and morals and the right thing to do does not. That is a rock and a foundation that you can stand on versus a vision of success or even happiness that is an ever-changing perception and field. And that is something that only you perceive. So if your definition of success is getting that new job, getting that new whatever, and you end up getting it most of the time... Sometimes you realize in it. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you're happy with it. But what's going to stand more than anything is your value and your morals and what you stand for and the pillars of what makes you you. And so I've I've really encourage you to do the right thing, do the hard things, think about how people, even if it's you got that new job, you feel like you're successful. And you, you've reached that pinnacle of success. You've got the job that you want. Remember to do the right things. Because you never know. When that last job. You're going to need it for something. And if you did the right thing the entire time. You can use that to your benefit later on. And people will always remember you. In a certain way. And I'm just going to say one thing. I left Georgia to go to Texas. At one point. And. You know, I I am a Christian, yes. And, you know, did I, did I necessarily do all the right things by the Christian standard and everything? You know, I cussed. I said some things I probably shouldn't have said. You know, I, I've done things that I probably shouldn't have done. But I remember something very, very striking when I left. That everybody said, one thing that I'll always remember about you is that you were strong in your morals and your values and you knew where that line was and how far you were going to go before putting that line down and saying no I'm not going to do that and so I just want to encourage you to hold your lines hold your morals and values because people see people people see that kind of thing and they're going to remember you well and you never know when that's going to come back or you can use that to your benefit in the future
0: Right, and you never know who you're going to have to work with in the future, and that's why it's important that you leave on good terms and you don't burn those bridges. Um, And like he said, uh, people see more than you think. Uh, Sometimes actions speak louder than words. My eclair, my positive advice uh, for this week is put yourself in other people's shoes. Uh, There's a saying into killing a mockingbird, and it's, it's a quote that, I really try to live by is uh, you never really know what a person is going through until you take a walk in his shoes and understand, jump in his skin and and crawl around in it and and know what that person is going through. Um, This has helped me a lot in my life because it's helped me to not be so offended easily. It's helped me in how to talk to people. When people make me mad, it's helped me be a better leader and a better communicator. I'm in management and leadership, and when I first started in leadership, of course, uh, whenever you get that first leadership job, you want to just go guns a blazing and fire everybody and and talk down to everybody. And I learned that was not the best way to do things. When you go and you fire at people and you come at them sideways more times than not, they're not really going to hear you. Um, and you have to understand there are sometimes there are reasons why people do certain things and when you put yourself in other people's shoes you uh you're less likely to judge them and you're less likely to come up come at them incorrect so every time I have to talk to an employee about their behavior I have to sit there and I say you know what let me put myself in their shoes if what I'm saying is gonna hurt them would what I want that be said to me no and also too I used to be very judgmental person very judgmental I would look at someone and be like oh don't have a job and i'd be very judgmental but that god has humbled me and put me in seasons where i didn't have a job so when you put yourself in other people's shoes you get to see things from their perspective and it helps you be a leader, better leader, and better communicator. Everybody's going through stuff, so put yourself in other people's shoes.
1: And something I'll add on that: when you put yourself in other people's shoes, especially when he's talking about in a leadership or management role, or even you know, in in a point in life where somebody is down and they need to be picked up, that's almost a lead position because you have to you're trying to lead them out of a spot where you're at. to, to put yourself in their shoes and to be compassionate and empathetic to what's going on you also have a connection to them. You also draw a connection to them. If something happens to them and, and you could talk to them about it and say, Oh, this is what's going on. And you can understand where they're coming from. Now you automatically have a connection and you're able to help them through that connection a lot easier.
0: Yeah. So lead by example, put yourself in other people's shoes. Right, we did a little bit of the plug at the beginning, but like us on TV trash That is TV trash Like us on our social media pages um we enjoyed having this time with you uh we cannot say some of the jokes that we want to say because we have sponsors as steve harvey says just kidding but if you'd like to sponsor us that would be great because we need sponsors see how i did that little plug there thank you so much for listening to us and i'm chris
1: and i'm michael y'all have a wonderful wonderful week